Before I pray and ask God's help with Isaiah chapter 12, I want to just give another verse and make it the banner over the celebration of the 10th anniversary of Desiring God Community Church. And this came to me yesterday as um, something that was fitting because of the way it started in, in 2002 with Bethlehem and then the way I heard testimonies being given yesterday. Psalm 126, verse 6, goes like this. He who, who goes forth weeping, bearing his seed for sowing, will come home with shouts of joy, bearing his sheaves with him. So farmers can get this. It's springtime, sowing time. You must sow, but you are weeping. The family is about to blow to smithereens, perhaps. Marriage is painful. The children are not where you want them to be. The health is not where it needs to be. And If you don't sow your seeds, you don't eat. So, you sow. He who goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing. Fall will come. The rains will intervene. God will do his work. And the crops will come up, and you will go get them, and the sheaves will be brought home, and you will shout for joy. That's ministry. That's ministry. 2002 was not, was not the highest season for me, my family. I was just doing the math this morning, trying to figure out how old all my boys were. I had raised four boys. It wasn't the greatest of seasons. Plenty of reasons to weep in 2002 when I preached planting a passion. Because the church was full, we didn't know what to do. That's another aspect of ministry. You don't know what to do. You don't know how to manage God's blessing or manage the lack of seeming blessing. And you just try to do the next thing. Weeping. Not everybody sees the weeping. And then the seeds have been sown, and there it went. The sermon went. I had no idea. Zero expectation that anything would happen in Charlotte because of that sermon. I was shooting for Minneapolis as far as my bow would reach. And lo and behold, some young women in the church hear it and get ideas because Billy Graham is sending some folks down here from Minneapolis and and Cody and far off Cameroon, and then later hears it, and here we are 10 years later, and bringing our sheaves home in joy. So just wherever you are in your sowing with tears, it's okay. The farmer just must not stay in bed, okay? He cannot yield. He cannot yield. Pastor farmer, farmer farmer, lawyer farmer, homemaker farmer. You cannot yield to the temptation to just quit. I'm just quitting. It's not working. Nothing's going right. You've got some seeds in your pockets. You know the next thing to do. Just do the next thing. Now let's pray. So, Father, I am deeply thankful for Desiring God Community Church and thank you for Cody and Beth and their faithfulness through their own tears and for all those who in the early days took risks to plan a little work and watch you make sheaves happen. And here we are gathering some of them, celebrating some of them, and we are shouting for joy. And I thank you. 
It occurred to me while I was singing here, Lord, that I'll probably never stand in this church again. I'm old. I'm 67 years old. I live far away. And so there, there are a few people here who will never hear my voice again. And I just pray that in your amazing providence, my pebble that I will now drop in this little pool here would have a ripple effect in every life beyond all expectation for the glory of Jesus Christ and for the good of souls and for the, the joy of this city and, and these particular neighborhoods remarkably around this church and, and for the Desiring God Church as well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So if your Bible is not open to Isaiah chapter 12, I hope it will be. It's been read already, and I'm going to read again three of the verses. It's not a long chapter, one of the shortest chapters in the Old Testament, six verses long. So I'm going to read verses three through five, and my aim, just so you know a little bit of where we're going, my aim is to help you persevere or... uh, survive and thrive in missions first. So I've got several layers of intention here. I want to I address missionary perseverance and missionary speaking. And then I want to address all of us, senders or goers, speakers where we are, persevering in what we do, in this city and beyond. So here here are the first verses we'll look at. Verse 3. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call on His name, make known His deeds among the nations, proclaim that His name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be known in all the earth. So I think this text is about the perseverance and the preaching of missionaries at one level. It's about the perseverance and the speaking of all of you. At another level, any representative of the true God, the Father of Jesus Christ, this text has something amazing to say to you about your thriving and surviving in your ministry, your life. How does a missionary or a mission-driven church or a mission-loving saint last? How do you get from one day to the next and then get to 60 and 70 and 80 and keep going until you're home? How do you do that? How do you keep giving and giving and giving? Because if you're a Christian, you're going to be bled. Some will take advantage of you and some just need you. And if you're a need meter, which is what Christians are, we love to meet real needs. How do you do that? How do you have resources just keep on giving and giving and giving until you're at home? That's what this text is about. So why am I talking to a group of people who most of you won't be missionaries about a mission text primarily? And there are three reasons. Number one is because When you hold up a vision of how God helps missionaries and what missionaries are called to do and say, that's how God calls people to do it. They see a vision of it. Oh, that's what it is? That's what the Bible says it is? And something happens in here and they're just drawn, and they can't stop it. That's the, that's the way God calls people. So I want that to happen. A few of that, a few of you will be that. 
And the second reason is because the way missionaries persevere and the way people of another kind persevere is the same. We all are strengthened in the same way. And we all speak the same truth. That's the second reason. And the third reason is that um, you live in Charlotte and are tested with the same kind of demonic and carnal temptations that any missionary has. And it's not easy to be a Christian here any more than it is to be a Christian in an unreached people group. It, in fact, it may be harder in some ways here. So for those reasons, I think this text, while it first struck me as a wonderfully missionary text, is for all of us. So let's talk first about the persevering part. So first the persevering part, then the preaching part, or the the thriving and surviving part, and then the, the speaking part. What do, you, what do you say? So, verse 3. And just a little word here. I, every time I preach from the Old Testament, I feel like I need a sermon just to account for why I'm preaching the Old Testament. Because you might be sitting there thinking, wasn't that written for Israel? And we're not Israel, and so how do you know you can take a promise like this? I mean, you're reading this text like, like it's just written yesterday for us. And goodness gracious, this is written, what, 2,700 years ago to the Jews. So how can you do that? So that needs a sermon. <laughs> but I'll give it to you in a minute, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. All the promises of God, and puts it down so I can see you. Thank you. Um, See, okay. Um, all the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. That's a sermon. That means all the things that God said to his people in the Old Testament, if you're in the Messiah, the fulfillment of the line of the Old Testament promises, if you're in him by faith, his name is Jesus then in him you inherit it all. So it's okay to have the Old Testament in your book. It's our book. It's the Jewish book for sure, the Tanakh. But Christians are right to put the New Testament on the back of it, put it all in one cover and own it for ourselves. I have zero hesitation proclaiming, thus saith the Lord to you Christians, maybe a few Jews in the house, wonderful, but... Gentiles, it's yours. Okay, end of sermon on why I'm preaching from Isaiah 12. Verse 3, with joy you will drink water from the wells of salvation. I think that's the key to perseverance in the missionary life or in any life. One of the greatest dangers for missionaries, pastors, Christians, is drying up and dying. Losing all interest, losing all hope, just not having any care, any desire, any joy anymore in God or Christ or salvation or the church or the word. It's just all blank. That's dangerous and scary when that starts to happen in a saint's life. And here we're told to drink water from the wells of salvation. Electric cords that are meant to keep lights on should stay plugged in. Hose pipes that are meant to water the lawn and give life to the grass should stay screwed in to the faucet. Trees that are meant to bear fruit should stay planted in nourishing soil by streams of water. That's what makes them work. And Christians should drink water from the wells 
of salvation. So let's ponder the wells for a few minutes. There's a lot here. Ponder the wells with me for a few minutes. Sometimes we are prone to think of salvation as a point in the past where we repented of our sins, turned to Jesus Christ, embraced Him as our Savior, and experienced the forgiveness of our sins and the removal of our guilt and the gift of eternal life and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That was salvation. And that's absolutely right. It's just not the whole picture, is it? Because the word saved in the Bible is used for what happened to you in the past, Ephesians 2. By grace you have been saved. You have. It's over, done, fixed, sure. Never be taken away. And 1 Corinthians 1.18. To this, to us who are being saved, the cross is the power of God. Oh, it was past, but now 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, I am now being saved. Romans 13, 11. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Oh, I don't have it yet. In full. So you step back from those three passages, Ephesians 2, 1 Corinthians 1, and and Romans 13, you say, I was saved. I have been saved. I am being saved. I will be saved at the last day. It will be completed. There's so much about me right now that's not saved. I'm a sinner still. I'm a lousy husband and father and imperfect pastors. Everything about me needs saving. Therefore, God has made provision to get us home. And to finish his, his work. We have enemies of our lives. And they are on our case. The devil is on our case. My own flesh is on my case. I have enemies on every hand trying to undo me and destroy me. And I must keep on being rescued, being saved. I call upon God for help every day with every kind of temptation, every kind of drifting, every kind of backsliding. I'm asking, save me, save me, save me. And I don't mean justify me. That's finished. That's pointed. Forgiveness of sins. He did that. Everything's paid for on the cross. But oh, the application to my life every day is so needed. Which is why I think this plural word, wells, is so important. I mean, would, would you have expected him to say wells? I mean, when I read it and thought, isn't there just a well of salvation? Like this sounds, wells of salvation? Why wells of salvation and not well of salvation? Isn't there just one place to be saved? And surely the answer is something like, if you've got to get from Egypt to the promised land, you need more than one well. A well in Egypt and a well in Canaan won't get you there. You're going to die in the wilderness. There have to be wells in your life. The reason it's plural is because you need to drink there a lot in a lot of different places at a lot of different times. The wells are as frequent and as widespread as your willingness to meet with God. Any time and any place you lift up your heart to God to drink from Him, there's a well there. Now, why do I say that? I say it because of verse 2. Behold, God is my salvation. 
Remember, these are wells of salvation. Wells of salvation. Now I'm adding, God is your salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength. God is my song. He has become my salvation. So what happens when you drink at a well of salvation? It means you turn to God and you drink from the river of His strength, the river of His delights, the river of His hope, the river of His promises. You drink and you can do that anywhere. There are as many wells in your life as there are points of willingness to turn to God and drink. He will be found by you. He is not far from any of us. Amos 5, thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me and live. Or Jeremiah 29, you will call on me in the day of trouble and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. He's never far from his people. You may feel distant. That's only because you haven't yet turned to cry out, help me now. I am very thirsty. If I don't get some drink from you, God, I may not make it through this day, let alone get to Canaan and the promised land with the milk and the honey. I'm going to die right here in the wilderness with all these scorpions if there's no oasis today. And the, right, the reason this is plural, drink from the wells of salvation, is because they're everywhere you need them. They are as near as your willingness to turn to him for help. Another implication of this. How do you experience God's guidance through life? So you're starting in Egypt, and you got that decisive deliverance at the Red Sea. Let's just say that's your first experience of God in rescuing you from sin and forgiving you and, and making you his own. And you've got now 50, 60, 70 years or 20 years to get to Canaan, to get home. How do you experience his guidance? Not just his nourishment. One answer is you follow the oases. I don't know if you've had this experience, but I used to say to people, just stay under the waterfall of grace, of sweet fellowship with Jesus. And if it moves, go there. If, if, if the outpouring of the blessing from God on your life to keep you close to himself is shifting over here, go there. If it means changing jobs, change them. If it means leaving your country, leave it. If it means changing schools, leave it. There's God over there, and he's beckoning me. Get under my waterfall here. Most of my blessing for you, I'm not talking about anybody else now, so you're not pointing your finger at anybody when you make this move, because the waterfall for them might be right there where you were. But you're just following the waterfall or the oasis. Sounds kind of subjective, and I don't mean to dislodge you at all from the Word of God, because that's, that's the instrument through which the water comes. But think about that. Is your goal in life to move through the wilderness of North Carolina, or whatever mission field you might be a part of, is your aim in life to move through the wilderness of North Carolina, making sure you are constantly experiencing maximum joy under God's smile? Is that your goal? That's mine. Which makes a lot of choices for me. I know there are TV shows that strip me of that. Noel and I were watching a couple, and on the third one, I said, Noel, I don't think we can finish the series. It's just gotten too risque. 
You may be able to handle this, not me. My soul, my soul, my sweet fellowship with Jesus is being threatened. There's so many people that don't shoot for that. They don't care. They're just going to watch it. Because the titillation is strong. It's good. It feels good. I'm going to go to that movie. I'm going to do that stuff. And they're not even thinking, how do I maximize God in my life? How do I maximize joy in Jesus in my life? And if you make that your goal, I'm staying under the waterfall of maximum blessing from God. It makes a lot of choices for you. There's a lot of guidance there. There really is. Notice another thing about the word wells. It doesn't say buckets. You will drink water from the wells of salvation. It doesn't say you will drink water from the bowls of salvation. Any significance in that? I was talking to Cody, commenting about his neighborhood and how many trees there were and how much forest and everybody's house seems to be surrounded by woods. And he said it's because every, back before they had city water, every house had a well and they had to have an acre of property to justify the well. And I thought, that's interesting. Every house here has a well. I'm living, I'm renting a house right now in Knoxville, Tennessee, just outside Knoxville, uh, up, up off out of the city of the ways. And, and it's totally, doesn't have any city water out there. It's, it's a well. Every time I turn the water on, I said, this is absolutely amazing. This is coming out of the ground. I just, you know, I, I'm living in Minneapolis where the water comes to the stinking Mississippi River and they have to treat it with a zillion chemicals to make it drinkable. And, and, uh, and I just turn that water on, take a shower. This is coming out of the ground. Doesn't it? I mean, how much is down there? <laughs> and Noel planned for us to take a little trip. And then I cut my finger, if you wonder what that is. I cut my finger last Monday and couldn't take. We were going to go to the Lost Sea. Near Knoxville. It's, it's the biggest underground lake in America. Right outside Knoxville. You go down a three-fourths of a mile underground and you get on a boat. <gasps> I didn't know they had that in Tennessee. You get on a, a, bottom, a glass bottom boat and, and float out on the lake underground a half mile. That's a lot of water. Reminds me of the flood. You know, how did, how did the flood happen? Well, it just kind of made all that come up. The point is, wells don't run dry for centuries. Bowls, you might drink a bowl and say, I need more, and there isn't any more. When you have a well of salvation, the implication is it's just, it's inexhaustible. You turn it on, it just keeps coming. It keeps coming. There's not just a little bucket. There's not just a little bowl of nourishment for your day. You can stay at that well all day long. And I, I really recommend to some of you that you set apart one or two days a year maybe where you do stay there all day long. Have you ever done that? Have you ever taken a retreat with Jesus to read 50 chapters of the Bible? 50, 5, 0. Not 15, 5, 0. Have you ever done that? Give yourself a chance to test the well. Wesley Duell wrote two books on prayer that moved me deeply years ago. And he talked about taking retreats with Jesus in which he had to read 50 chapters of the Bible just to get ready to pray. <laughs> I just was so convicted. And what he meant was that the world is just so much with us. You know, the radio is with us, the internet is with us, the TV's with us, the movies are with us, and magazines are with us, and all kinds of stuff are with us. World, 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 world. None of it telling us to pray or making prayer look attractive at all. How does it start feeling attractive? Get near God. How do you get near God? You get in His Word. And and you, you'll only spend five minutes or ten minutes there if you don't plan every now and then some extraordinary 
lingering at an oasis where there's a well of salvation, namely a well of God. Now let's turn from the persevering part, the thriving part, the drinking part to what you say when you drink. This, this is probably what grabbed me most about this text. Um, what do you say when you drink? What happens when a tired and thirsty person draws up from the well of salvation and drinks and bows down. Um, Now let me read what you say. Verses 3 and 4 again. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation and you will say, you will say in that day. Just stop right there. Do you have that experience? And here's, here's what I mean. I, I have been a pastor for 33 years, and now I'm not. And one of the reasons I became a pastor is because of a kind of experience that I, I don't know how many people have. I, I think most pastors have it, and lots of lay people have it. But it was this. As God began to rumble in my soul with the Word of God. I was about 20 years old when this started to happen. This is rumble. You know, you read and your heart burns. Almost every time I I would stoop by that well and drink deeply, before I was done, I was thinking of ways to commend the well. It was just reflex. Before I was done being satisfied, my mind was creating sermons. My mind was creating lessons. My mind was creating devotions, creating, today, tweets. Before I'm done, I'm thinking, how can I say this? I want to say this. I think that's an evidence of a call on your life to speak. It doesn't have to be as a pastor. Evangelist could be just a remarkably effective witness at work. But when I read this, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation and you will say, yes, that's right, that's what happens. I want to say what I'm seeing in the text. It's just not complete. I don't have the full joy and effect of it until I'm saying it, coming in and going out like this. And that's still true. I I don't have a, it just hit me uh, that this is the first time I'm preaching in a worship service since I finished at Bethlehem. That hit me this morning. Um, I I forget what official date I finished, May 31st or somewhere. Um, No, no, March 31st, yeah. So March, April, May, June, July. A bunch of months have gone by. So here I am now in the, in the pulpit. So this could go too long if I'm not careful. Um, as I was getting ready this morning, I thought, this is the first time I'm getting to do this again. And it feels really good. Because you will drink water from the wells of salvation. And you will say. And the saying for the soul that is drinking completes the joy of the drinking. It does. At least for me it does. And so there's a correlation between the drinking and the saying, it seems. So let's just think for a few minutes and then we'll wrap it up. Um, Maybe four things about this saying. Number one, um, it is a missionary saying. It's a missionary speaking. So let's read all of verse three and four. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. So there's two things going on there, aren't there? 
There's a kind of evangelization going on in that you're calling people to know the Lord, give thanks to the Lord. And there's mobilization going on there where you seem to be saying to the very people of God, make known his deeds among the peoples. So they're speaking to those who need to give thanks And then they're speaking to those who are giving thanks. They need to declare the deeds that are making them give thanks to the peoples. There's something deeply wrong, isn't there? When you can drink day after day or hour after hour at the wells of salvation and feel no impulse rising. The peoples need this. Something wrong. It's something wrong. If you can drink and drink and drink, and then watch the news, say about Syria. I've got friends in Lebanon, and they're trying to clear all the Americans out of Lebanon right now. So I'm wondering if they're going to stay who are ministering to Syrian refugees. And at the, la- at the top of his last email, he had the num- big number 73, I think. I have it wrong. Close. And 73 was the number of new refugees every, now I forget, minute, hour. I mean, the number is millions of refugees in Lebanon because of Syria. Syria is just one big, horrible tragedy right now. And, of course, they're mainly Muslim. Little teeny Christian community there from centuries and they're terribly threatened by both regimes. There's nothing we can do right in Syria that I know. Everything seems ending in mess. But all I'm saying is, can you, can you look at the news from, from Pakistan to Tunisia to, or just read Operation World and soak in your Bible and come up from drinking at the wells of salvation and not... Feel rising, verse 4, in your heart. Declare among the peoples what you've seen. Or tell others to declare. Or fund what will be declared. Or some way, make it happen. Be a part of making it happen. Something's wrong. Test your soul. Something's wrong if you're enjoying God and His Word day in and day out and there's not rising up in you. Give thanks to the Lord, O peoples. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. So the first thing to say about this speaking is that it's a a missionary evangelization and mobilization kind of speaking. Second thing to say about it is that... um, It focuses on peoples, not just people. Peoples with an S. I never put the word S on the end of peoples until 1983. <laughs> I had a missionary revolution in my life, and, and it was all on, on, revolving around the word S on the end of people. Little children, when I began to do it, they'd come up to me and say, is that a word? Is peoples a word? I remember, they would ask me, is peoples a word? Oh, if you don't know people's as a word, I haven't been a pastor yet. I haven't done my job. I haven't made missions understandable in this church. If children don't know people's is a word, I haven't been faithful to the Bible. What do I mean? Verse 4, make known his deeds among the peoples. It was a revolutionary discovery for me. What I mean by peoples, what I think Isaiah and God meant by peoples, is what we find in Revelation 5. Worthy are you, O Lord, to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain by your blood. You ransomed men for God from, so you ransomed people from, and then he says this, from every tribe and tongue or language and people and nation. Now, if you try to carefully distinguish those four things, tribe, language, people, nation. You can't do it. They're just so interwoven. The point is, all those human groupings that are out there, 
Those language groupings, those cultural groupings, those ethnic racial groupings, all those groupings. And, and missiologists count them in different ways from 17,000 to 11,000 of them around the world. This is not uh, Germany, England, American, Argentina. This is Cherokee, Ojibwe, Fulani, Berber. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about peoples who are defined by some kind of cultural, ethnic, um, language reality that has an integrity in and of itself, a little bit distinct from those around them, and they need the church. They need the gospel. And the Bible says God means to get His Son exalted among all those peoples. That's missions. Crossing from one of those groups... To another, and it can happen in Charlotte. I don't know your refugee situation here or the multiplicity of those who come from the nations to you. I know international students is a big deal. In, in my hometown, there's 50,000 Somalis in the last 15 years or so, and almost all of them are Muslim. A little handful of Christians. You don't have to cross an ocean in order to be a missionary. But a missionary, in my definition, is a culture crosser, a language crosser. To plant a church in a ethne, in a people group, that doesn't have it yet. That's missions. And so the second thing this text says about the speaking of drinking is that it's about peoples. Which means, by the way, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, The Great Commission, which says to go disciple the nations, and you know it doesn't mean America, England, China, Afghanistan. It means peoples. It's finishable. You ever think about this? If you think of missionary goals only in terms of saving individuals, it's not finishable. It'll never be finishable because there will always be people that are not reached because they're being born every minute. But if you think of a limited number of peoples, and there are a limited number of peoples, it is conceivable that the church will one day, and I pray, within a generation. It could happen. The IMB, where I get most of my numbers because they're so remarkably gifted and sophisticated and thoughtful about how to do this kind of research. They have the numbers up there from the unreached, for the unengaged, for the unengaged with 100,000 people or more. And they're thinking and praying with all the other mission agencies and churches that are mission-minded to target these people and get an army of believers to them. This is doable today. This is finishable today. And that's a very hope-giving thing. It gives you something to really pray toward, to buy that book, Operation World, that has all the peoples and all the countries in the world and begin to pray intensely that God will finish this work. Third thing it says about this speaking. This, the speaking that comes out of your mouth when you lift your face out of the, out of the spring of God's faithfulness and your, your drinking of Him, the wells of salvation, is that it is a It is a God-exalting speaking. Verse 4 again. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that His name is exalted. His name is exalted. Why is this? Why does drinking from the wells of salvation produce God-exalting speech? It's because... The salvation is God. God has become your salvation. So to drink is to go to God and to uh, feed on His power. Feed on His wisdom. Feed on His grace. Feed on His kindness and patience and mercy. Everything, He's strong, He's wonderful, He's beautiful. That's God-exalting talk. There is a very profound truth behind this that I've given my whole life to called Christian hedonism. Which goes like this. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Him. 
God is most glorified when you're most satisfied. You see it? You're, you're, you're thirsty. Fred, where are you? Raise your hand, Freddie. Okay. You said, you said I'm a happy pastor. I'm a pastor who really wants to be happy. You ask my wife, is this the happiest pastor you've ever known? She's like, I don't think so. <laughs> In pulpit, I always look happy. So let's be, be honest here, okay? My book is entitled Desiring God, Not Having Arrived at Being Happy in God. So here I am, day after day, one factory of desires. Like, it's my heart. It's, I'm just, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. Now I can either go for sin or God. I'm a wanter. So if I put my face down in the pool of God's grace and say, that's good. What did I just do? What was that? That's worship. That's good. That's really good. This when, when you're satisfied here, it goes up. It, he gets glorified. It can't be any other way. You always praise what you prize. Always. You're eating your favorite blizzard. I just think of it because I don't eat blizzards except once a year on my birthday. And now I get the biggest one I can get. And it's always a Butterfinger blizzard. And I can't say enough positive about Butterfinger blizzards for the next half hour. And then I wait a year and have another one. You know this. And a lot of you are sitting there feeling, I just don't relate to God that way. I don't feel anything like that when I read my Bible. And I'm so sorry. I was talking with a couple of guys last night about that. If I took the time to spend an hour with you after this, which I'm willing to do, uh, you'd tell me that. Lots of you would. You'd come up and say, uh, how do you get that? And I will pray that God will quicken your, the taste buds of your soul, that he will carve away the calluses of worldliness that have grown up around your soul so that when you drink from the wells of salvation through the word of God and taste and see that God is good, there will well up in you affections for him that have been long dead. And I want to be real careful here. I'm almost done. Um, I know that we have different personalities. I'm not telling everybody they have to be like me. I know lots of you, you grew up in homes and you were so beat down by your parents. You never saw them sing, maybe never laugh, maybe never say one positive word about you at all. And they were pure, strict, duty-driven people to keep you out of trouble. And therefore, you've never had a high affection for anything. You don't have affections. You died a long time ago emotionally. I'm just so aware that that's a reality. And I don't want to beat you up. I want to condemn you. I just want to say, God will take you right there. Take you right there. You just turn to him and start drinking and just ask him to give you whatever measure of affection for him that you're able to have. And we're just all different. We just are. I mean, some of you, I was looking in the choir. You had your hands up over and over again. And I looked at the rest of you, you didn't. Now, what am I supposed to make of that? They're all dead and she's alive. Wrong, <laughs> wrong, wrong. But that's, okay, so I'm warning you that while I, I'm pleading with you to experience affections for God that you won't you won't take me as ruling you out of the kingdom if that's hard for you. One last observation. That was number three. Here's number, number four. Um, and it's, I suppose it's almost the same thing. Speaking that comes from drinking at the wells of salvation is worship-producing speaking. Worship-producing. So verse five 
you will say, when you drink, you will say, sing praises to the Lord. When you come to the Bible or to the well, you don't come mainly to analyze the water. You don't come mainly to develop a lecture about the water. You come to drink the water. And you're coming to drink, when, you, when you're very thirsty and you've used a weed eater all morning in the hot sun and uh, you've sweat off a bucket of sweat and haven't paused to rest and you come into the house and put your glass under the faucet, put some ice cubes in it, wait just a minute and look at it. It's nothing chemical going on here at all. This is just, this is going to be good. (laughs) This is going to feel good all the way down. That's the way you should go to your Bible. And then when you come up, you come up with a song, commending song. We're after ourselves, satisfaction in Jesus, and we're after a song in other people, a song from the heart. You don't want duty songs. That's a contradiction, right? That's an oxymoron. I'm supposed to sing, so I guess I'll sing. I don't want to sing, but I'll sing because everybody's singing. This is not what we want. We want songs, songs from hearts that are satisfied in God. And so that's the fourth thing, is that the speaking that comes from drinking at the wells of salvation is worship-producing and worship-commending speaking. Missions exist because worship doesn't. And so you can see how missions flows from this kind of experience with God. So let me close with this. The source of all perseverance, the source of lasting, going along, being able to give and give and give as a, as a mom or a dad or a pastor or an employee, being able to give as a Christian comes from drinking at the wells of salvation. God is exalted when you drink at these wells and you come up saying, I will drink, and then I will say. I might say it in Charlotte. I might say it in Shanghai. But I'm going to drink until I'm satisfied. And I'm going to keep drinking all the way to the promised land at every oasis of my life. And I'm going to speak. Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful for your holy precious, life-giving word, which is the rim around the well where I meet you, where we meet you. And so draw your people at these churches and in this city and for the nations to the wells of salvation, I pray in Jesus' name.